You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV. And crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 29th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the newest episode of Ms. Marvel entitled Seeing Red. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. So Peter is still not feeling well. Uh, I think he promised uh, Kevin Feige might appear on today's episode. Uh, yeah, it's not. It's and not here Kevin he Feige. is. <laughs> Uh, it is just me, guys. Um, but uh, yeah, Brad, let's talk about Ms. Marvel. Um, I guess we don't have any feedback, so let's get into brief reactions. Before we do that, though, what is your overall sense of this show after four episodes? How, how are you feeling about it overall? Uh, you know, I feel like a broken record when I say this, but uh, every episode uh, just makes me like this series even more. Um, I think Iman Vellani continues to be fantastic as Ms. Marvel, and I love that the show is... Uh, digging even deeper into uh, her family and their culture, uh, you know, right right down to going to uh, Karachi in this episode. So I think it's great to have this coming-of-age superhero story uh, and teenage high school movie that feels somewhat familiar, but also uh, has, like, an entirely new coat of paint on it because it brings it from a perspective of, you know, not just another, you know, young 
uh, American teen. It's um, I mean, she is, she is American, but she has this whole, you know, Pakistani background that makes her completely different and really just allows us to tap into a, a different perspective when it comes to uh, her place in the world as both a teen and a rising superhero. And so on top of that, I really think that the story here is intriguing because they're, while they are taking, you know, elements of Ms. Marvel's story from the comics, they're obviously used it taking liberties with a lot of them. And uh, I'm curious to see how this ends up uh, tying overall into the larger MCU. Cause I think there's definitely uh, something brewing here. Like we talked about in the, the previous episode that will probably uh, lead into the Marvels and maybe something even bigger uh, for the larger Marvel cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll just say that I loved the pilot episode. I thought the second episode was a slight step down and I really was not a big fan of episode three. Um, fortunately, I think episode four bounces back fairly well from that. There's a ton of exposition in this episode, Brad. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but there is like a lot of people just explaining rules and setting things up and like uh, just literally like passing information from one character to the next. And some of that stuff kind of, you know, feels like it, um, like you can see the seams a little bit, but then there will be a great moment that is just, you know, between this quiet moment between two family members that really sort of like shows you what this show can do at its best. So um, what did you think about this specific episode, episode four? Uh, I enjoyed it for the most part. I do agree with you that it's very heavy on exposition, but I also like what it's introducing into the Marvel universe um, and expanding this kind of, I guess because it's not not cosmic, it's not mystic. I guess it's more like a, a different spiritual side. It seems because like it feels like this this other dimension almost has similarities to that of the the spiritual plane in Black Panther. Yeah, um, with that purple coloring, it's the same. Yeah, and I'm wondering if there's some some relationship uh, there to and some some kind of connection to be made. Um, but I I kind of like how it's you know it's taking a lot of these elements uh, that come from uh, Pakistan and Karachi and like been tying history into Marvel's fictional history and creating this, this link between them. It's, it's cool to see uh, that kind of, you know, cleverness in the writing where it's not just this entirely uh, different world that is fictional, but it has a place in our, our real history. I think that that's, that's always really cool when we see that happen in, in the MCU when it ties something uh, from our actual history and gives it just a little bit of a spin so that it uh, makes it feel, you know, a little bit fictional. Um, mm-hmm. it, it grounds it effectively. So, uh, you know, even, despite the the exposition, I like what, what the exposition is doing. Uh, I like the, um, the introduction of the Red Daggers. Uh, it's always cool to see Ms. Marvel um, still, you know, learning new things about her powers and using them in different ways. And uh, again, my curiosity is still peaked here to kind of see what's going on, especially when it comes to the end of this episode. Yeah, I I have like, you know, I think, like I said, this is definitely a big uh, improvement for me over episode three, but um, I guess I'll just get into my thoughts like as we go through the breakdown. So um, Kamala and her mom go to Karachi. The two of them call a truce after Kamala seemingly ruined her her brother's wedding in the the previous episode. Um, Nakia has been texting Kamala, but she doesn't respond. That's a sort of a through line that runs throughout this whole episode. So um, I guess we can talk about that now, Brad. What, what do you think it is that's sort of holding her back from uh, making that connection with her friend and sort of trying to repair that relationship? Uh, I mean, in, you mean as far as like... It, there was one moment where uh, she's scrolling through her phone and it looks like, uh, is it Nakia? I think it's Nakia. Yeah. Um, has, has, I said Nakia earlier. That might be 
is that a Black Panther character name? <laughs> it might be uh, a, a different character name. Anyway, Nakia, um, I, I th- it looks like uh, Kamala is scrolling, scrolling through her phone and Nakia has texted her, you know, a dozen times or something and she hasn't responded yet. Um, and it, it, there are moments in this episode where she it sort of checks in with her and it seems as if she is maybe thinking about responding, but then she just can't for some reason. What do you think it is that, that's holding her back? I mean, I would imagine it's probably just something that's really hard to address and like explain when it's, it's such a shock to find something like that out, you know, trying to explain why she didn't tell her and because it's, you know, it's a whirlwind for her too, trying to find out, exactly what is in her family's history that has made her this way and like trying mm-hmm. to figure out her, this new position that she has uh, in life. She's been this superhero fangirl for so long and now she's kind of forced to, you know, become a superhero herself. And I think that comes with a lot more responsibility than she initially anticipated. You know, she's, she was all about like the cool factor of being a superhero, but not, you know, the full on the responsibility that, that comes with it. And so I think that's definitely something that it's, it's hard for her to kind of parse that out and, you know, talk about it in a way uh, without maybe coming to grips herself. And like, it, it's probably pretty overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay, so uh, Kamala's cousins and her nani meet her at the airport in the middle of the night. There's this really cool montage of Karachi. And then they go to uh, her grandmother's house. And her, her nani lives in this really nice place with a guard and a gate. Like, <laughs> what do you think uh, her status is in this society? Where, where I mean, did she like... Because uh, later in the episode, she's sort of depicted almost as like the the neighborhood crazy lady, right? So like, what? Uh, I don't know. It just seemed like a really nice place for somebody who is, you know, a, a cultural outcast or something in that society. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very likely too that this could have been, you know, a house that has been like handed down through through the family, you know. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's not something that she necessarily um, was it was like paying for herself or something like that. We don't necessarily know a lot about her professional history or anything like that you know it's, it, it'd be easy for someone to i guess be painted with that brush but also still be successful in their their professional life most likely uh but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if this was something that is like just something that was passed down through through the family over the years yeah well speaking of, of painting with the brush kamala has this this really sweet realization that her nani is a painter and artist and has devoted a lot of time to remembering what she lost during partition and there's this picture of aisha who is uh uh, Kamala's uh, great grandmother, and uh, she learns that she is in fact a a jinn. Uh, the train from their visions is the same train that took her grandmother out of India. And there's this moment where she says, "The bangle is trying to tell you something." Um, Brad, aside, for, let, let's put aside the fact that if somebody made a supercut of all the times that the word bangle was spoken in Ms. <laughs> Marvel, it would be like an hour long. Uh, what did you make of, of this uh, portion of the episode? Uh, I like seeing this connection between her and her grandmother, especially because, um, you know, in this episode, you really get a sense of how she feels a little bit uh, like an outcast, even in, you know, the place where her family is from, because she has grown up in America and she's equally as much American as she is Pakistani. Um, one also interesting detail that I, I noticed is if you look at a couple of the paintings, one of them looks like it's definitely of that plane uh, that where she saw a bunch of silhouettes and figures in when she first put on uh, the bangle and like mm. went, went to what seemed like a different dimension, uh, maybe where the clandestines are from. And then also there was another shot that looked like, uh, or another painting rather, that looked like um, 
like there were like kind of alien figures that were like reaching for somebody. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. I, I couldn't quite make out what that was. And I was I was clocking that and wondering if that was going to be something that we would return to later and be like, ah, that makes sense. But yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely interesting detail there. There's going to be something to that, I think. So there, there's one of the best exchanges in the show so far happens here where um, Kamala says, I, I don't know how to figure it out. I feel like I'm trying to piece together a hundred different things and I'm breaking more than I can fix. And Hernani says, that's quite a puzzle. But then if you've lived like I have lost what I have, you learn to find beauty in the pieces. And, um, you know, on one hand, that sort of feels like a very screenwritery line. It's kind of like the, the WandaVision line that that went viral about uh you know love and and all that what is what um, is grief ex- but love persevering yes exactly uh but on the, you know on the other hand it's really effective and works really well and it is kind of like a perfect example of like what the show does really well where it, it really gets small and granular and shows you these personal interactions between these characters that are you know they happen to be people that we don't see on tv too often so um i just thought it was really cool and honestly like you know, even if people think lines and moments like that, like, are on the cheesier side, like, it doesn't necessarily make them lack authenticity or, like, mean that they won't hit you emotionally, you know? Because, like, me in particular, like, when that WandaVision line came out, like, it came mm-hmm. out, like, at, like, the perfect time, you know, for me, like, and it really just, like, squeezed my heart, like, as tight as it could. So, you know, like, it's, what's cheesy to somebody, you know, may be truly, you know, heartfelt and just really pull at the um you know your heartstrings right right when you yeah the the thing that somebody needs exactly yeah um so kamala uh wears jeans to a beach club party and the the group has to eat outside and they meet one of uh muniba her mother's friends who reveals that uh her mom was quote always was a oh yeah sorry was uh always a bit of a rebel um this scene kind of felt a little perfunctory to me like it just felt like the only reason it was there was to have that line, like, was to have uh, Kamala realize, like, oh, maybe my mom isn't quite as, um, or maybe always wasn't, uh, you know, this this person that I know her to be. You know, there, there's this other, uh, this history, this this other version of my mom that I've never quite seen. But yeah. I just thought it was a little awkward to have that whole setup, and and with that as the payoff, it just felt a little strange to me. But um, I don't know. Am I am I bumping on that unnecessarily, Brad? Uh, I mean, I didn't think it was really necessarily so awkward, especially since later you also have that moment between uh, Kamala's mom and grandmother where they kind of, you know, they don't, they don't have an argument necessarily, but like maybe Kamala's mom realizes that she has, you know, is being a little too harsh on her yeah. grandmother. And like, even though they haven't seen eye to eye about things like there's there, there's a complicated relationship there. Yeah, yeah. So during an informal tour of the city, one of Kamala's cousins points out a location to her and he says, Old Town is where many of the refugees first settled when they came from India. Um, This is just sort of like thrown off, uh, but that kind of thing has to come back. It's like Chekhov's, you know, (laughs) location in Karachi, basically. Like, you know, you don't just stop the show in its tracks to point that out and then never have it come back around later. So, uh, I guess this may be stepping on the the speculation territory a little bit, but do you have any ideas about how that that, that location might come back in a later episode? I feel like you'll probably have something to do with where we end up at the end of this episode. Mm. And that's that's all I'll say until we get there, I guess. Okay. Um, You get a bunch of montages of the city and everyday people that really gives the episode a a real sense of place and personality, which I I love seeing. I'm curious. I've not done the research to to know this. And maybe you know, Brad, but 
I'm wondering how much of this show was actually filmed in Karachi or, or, you know, I'm guessing a lot of this was like on a back lot in Atlanta where a lot of the, you know, the Marvel stuff um, was, was, uh, is filmed. And some of the, the moments from later the episode feel very um, back lotty to me, but it also does seem like at least a second unit or a unit uh, went out and like really shot real stuff in real places. So um, I don't know. Have you read anything or heard anything about the the production of this? Yeah. So I went and looked up uh, and it looks like they didn't actually shoot in uh, Karachi, but apparently they did do some shooting over in Bangkok in Thailand. Oh, cool. Okay. So I think that that's probably where they set up a lot of the stuff that was meant to double for Karachi. Huh, okay. Um, so uh, there's this this term that gets introduced here that I'd never heard before, um, where uh, one of uh, Kamala's cousins refers to her as uh, an ABCD, an American-born confused Desi. And I had never heard that up. I had to look up what Desi is, which means just uh, indigenous or, or local, I guess. Um, maybe it, it means a different thing. Oh, yeah. Actually, it also means... Um, uh, it's it's a word that is used to describe the people, cultures, and products of the Indian subcontinent and their diaspora. So uh, it has multiple meanings. But yeah, that, that's probably the one that they were going for there. Um, have you ever heard that term before, Brad? I'd never heard that. I hadn't. And honestly, that's one of the things that like I really appreciate about this show is like introducing like these uh, little details that people who are you know part of you know this South Asian you know culture and populations like that they clearly hear and say all the time, you know, it's, it's cool to be that deep, you know, within, uh, you know, that population. Mm -hmm. There's, there's also a a Chinese restaurant that we'll come back to in a minute, but I noticed that that restaurant is called ABC. So it was just sort of weird to have like this ABCD term and then the ABC naming of the restaurant, uh, or like essentially back to back. I was just like, huh, that's a a strange coincidence. I don't really think it means anything. I don't think it could possibly mean anything because it's just, one line of dialogue there. Um, but it's just a weird, <laughs> weird thing. So, uh, okay. So, so Kamala goes to the train station and she sees this mural that serves as kind of words of encouragement to her where Ant-Man is standing there and somebody has written, you can start small and still be larger than life, which I think speaks to what you and Peter have talked about in previous episodes about, you know, whether or not she feels like, um, capable enough to actually like wield this bangle and like become the hero that, that uh, we know her to be, but uh, you know, it's, it's all about like self-confidence and like, is she actually um, destined to do this? And is she capable of doing this? Uh, I think seeing that, um, that little uh, message, even, you know, like you're saying earlier, it's a little cheesy, but I think it it means something to her in the moment. And then uh, instead of having a a meet cute, she has a meet fight with uh, (laughs) somebody named Kareem, who is a a member of the Red Daggers, and we'll we'll get to know him, um, you know, shortly here. But uh, what did you think about this initial um, meeting between these two characters on this uh, abandoned train platform? Yeah, cool action sequence. I I think this was one of the sequences you're probably talking about that feels like it was on a back lot somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, These kind of sequences uh, can be kind of frustrating, especially since we do see them in superhero TV shows. You know, there just happens to be nobody around and nobody sees what's happening, but it's (laughs) it's still, you know, a pretty uh, decent action sequence. So, um, but yeah, for me, I really like seeing, you know, Kamala using her powers in, in new ways and like almost seemingly some somewhat accidentally stumbling into the power, almost as if it's not always her you know summoning the power like it comes uh almost instinctually like when she needs something you know yeah to, to, to save her yeah i noticed that there's one shot where she sort of i think her head sort of pops up on the left side of the frame and she almost has a surprised look on her face like did i just do that like you know she she does some sort of cool cool move basically and like 
I, I think it's the show's way of saying like, hey, we we know that this is just supposed to be a suburban Jersey girl, basically. You know, this is not somebody who's trained in martial arts like, uh, I don't know, Hawkeye or something like that, who like would actually have, um, you know, real fighting skills. It just sort of seems like she's able to do some of these things. I feel like that's a, sort of a nod to like anybody who might be grumbling about this stuff is at least to have the character herself be in on the joke, so to speak, and, and be like, oh, wow, that was cool that I did that. Like it was not a full-on planned kind of thing. So Yeah, it's funny you say that too because actually this was the first episode where I felt uh, uh, later in this episode where she's doing some things that feel like maybe it's a little too much of like acrobatic fighting that she probably wouldn't be prepared or be able to do because mm-hmm. like she, it feels like she doesn't have a hard time really keeping up with um, the the rest of the Red Daggers, especially uh, Kareem while they're fighting. And this is a guy mm-hmm. who's been, you know, trained endlessly, you know, for this position to take on this role. And she's kind of pulling off some stuff where I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if she's ready for <laughs> to do that kind of stuff yet. Like, where, where's that coming from? She had her training montage with Bruno on the roof that one time. So maybe oh, they... Oh, yeah, uh... Bruno, the, the master of martial arts. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, so after they... Uh, the, the one moment that I did think was, was good about that fight, because a lot of these fights, Brad, to me, just kind of feel like as soon as the, the um, an action scene begins, I kind of start looking at my watch like, okay... Um, the, some of this feels perfunctory. Some of this feels like it's just going through the motions. It's just like a required number of action scenes per episode kind of thing. Not every scene, but you know, sometimes I get that feeling. And this, I thought actually did a good job at the very end of this fight where the two characters, like I think Kareem has been knocked to the ground. He's laying on like uh, on his back, looking up and she falls and he, and, and she stops herself using some of her like platform powers or whatever. And he like, slices through it and and uh breaks it and then she falls closer to him and there's just this one and she stops herself again but they're very they're basically like on top of each other yeah and i just thought that was a good um a good visual and like a good way to sort of uh, lay some of the groundwork for what could potentially be a romance that that may be burgeoning uh that we see later on in the episode um it felt a little personal to me in a way that a lot of the action uh in these shows these marvel tv shows um, sometimes does not. So I, I yeah. like that little touch there. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. And like, cause for me, on I think like, even though these action sequences can be, you know, fairly uh, repetitive, I think for me, it it is how they utilize the powers and do, and do it in a way that is true to the character and allows more of the, those characteristics to come out. Cause like, for me, I think the, the action sequence that I was like, you know, okay, let's hurry up and get through this was, was when they started the chase. Cause like, yeah. uh, in this case, there was only so much that they were able to do with the chase. Like it, this felt like it could have been a chase in Moon Knight. You know, it was like yes. the, the same kind of thing. And so it's that th- those are the ones where I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah, definitely. Um, so they, I guess, like uh, come to an understanding. And uh, when when basically they realize that um, that she is not like one of the clandestines and, and is not one of the people that Kareem and his uh, organization are trying to fight or, or um, anything like that. And he ends up taking her to uh, the secret kitchen entrance in the, uh, the restaurant, the ABC restaurant um, to the red daggers hideout. And he says, sometimes you have to look beyond what's right in front of you. Perhaps we can teach you to open your eyes or sorts of eye imagery there. Um, Waleed, their leader explains that their, the group's function is to quote, protect our people from threats of the unseen. Uh, And here is where like, you know, a lot of the exposition in the episode comes. Um, So he essentially tells Kamala that Aisha, her, I think it's her great grandmother and the, uh, the clandestines are from 
another realm. There's this cool map that sort of shows how the two worlds coexist. And he says, there are many dimensions around us that we cannot see. This is just one of them. Um, Aisha's home is hidden behind the veil of Noor that separates the two realms. And uh, if the clandestines use their powers to tear down the veil, they will unleash their world into ours until there's nothing left of it. So um, uh, what did you make of all of this, Brad? Like the, the way that the, this information was imparted to the audience um, visually and uh, like the actual stuff that is being said here, what, what uh, was it intriguing to you? What did you think about it? Yeah, uh, visually, I like how they pull off some of this exposition. I, I wanted to see more of the map that underlies what looks like our world and how it differs. I wish there was a little bit more of a like a specific focus so that we could see like how that world is is you know different as far as like what how the planet is represented. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Is it are there landmarks there? Because it just sort of looks like um, you know a bunch of like almost alien tentacles, just sort of like uh, you know. Um, uh, curving through the sky and, and bursting out from the land. And like, you didn't really get a sense of like a society there or like buildings or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it, it felt like a very uh, alien world. And I, I did notice, uh, and this is what really made me think that it was tied to uh, Black Panther's spiritual plane is uh, that tree feels like it's that tree that we see T'Challa next to when he sees his, his father in that spiritual plane, right? I think so. Yeah, it, it definitely looks similar. I would have to go back and do like a, a comparison, but I'm sure somebody's already beat us to the punch on that. But yeah, um, so that um, you know, and the, but I, and I'm curious as to like, you know, I, the the stakes feel very generic to me. You know, it's like oh, they, they want to open their world and it will destroy ours. Okay, fine. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but like I want to know like what their that that world is like. You know, why why they're trying to escape it? Whether it's simply because they're they're exiled or you know what like what's what's I want to know more about what's going on here. Yeah, is there a ticking clock there and they're trying to, you know, they, they have to do this for some reason or is there some way that, that they could like uh, humanize and or make us sympathize with, with those characters instead of just having them be like these sort of blanket evil kind of people who are trying to destroy the world that we know? Um, yeah, it seems like there is some, there could be some more room uh, even left in the show for them to flesh that out a little bit. But um but I agree that it would have been nice to have that in this episode. But, uh, you know, I guess there's only so much exposition that you can do um, before, you know, people's eyes start to glaze over a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I understand maybe the the uh, withholding some of that now. But, um, yeah, the idea of, like, there are many dimensions around us that we cannot see. This is just one of them is um, is a really interesting, fascinating concept, especially given, like, the multiverse of madness and, like, how little that movie actually engaged with the concept of the multiverse in, in the way that I think a, a lot of us anticipated that it would, but where we thought that, you know, we we're going to be seeing a billion different universes and it really ended up only being, you know, a small handful. And like, what is the relationship between those universes? Is that different? Is what Dr. Strange did going through those, uh, those different alternate universes, is that different than going through these dimensions? Is there like a, a distinction between those two things? Is it all, um, the same thing. I don't know. What, what do you, do you have a read on that? Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm not entirely sure about, you know, because like multiverse of madness, like raised a lot of questions as how the multiverse operates, because on one hand you, you know, like there are these other parallel universes that exist, uh, alongside ours that are basically just different versions of our own world. Um, but then it also like, it, it makes the entire history of those universes. Like it goes back to the past, you know, how we were able to, 
bring in uh, Tobey Maguire's and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, you know, a mm-hmm. universe that already existed before, you know, we know of the, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there's some of these universes have a time where stories existed before, you know, superheroes in what is deemed our world actually began. Because for us, like, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know, began as far back as stuff with Eternals now. And then before that, it was, you know, around the time of Captain America, the first Avenger. And then uh, Captain Marvel was in the 90s. And But then for us, you know, it was Iron Man that really started that. And so mm-hmm. we like our world has a history, but then like all these other parallel universes have a completely different one. And so I'm curious as to, you know, how how that all works. Were there universes that like didn't start until loki uh you know messed with the sacred timeline and then mm, mm-hmm. all these branches is, does that have anything to do with what's going on now you know they've they've yet to really address how the events of loki have impacted what's going on in the marvel cinematic universe if that has what made the ability for uh you know dr strange to have problems with the multiverse um and and those kinds of things and so i'm, I'm curious if marvel is ever going to like define or explain that yeah, I think this that's kind of what I was talking about with uh, with Ryan in a previous episode of the show where I kind of felt like the, the entire MCU right now is sort of in this like nether region of like, what are they doing? What is the grand plan? And I think the the thought is that Kevin Feige is going to be laying a lot of that out at, at Comic-Con this, this summer, next month, I guess, in, in a few weeks, really. Um, but like, as of right now, it just sort of feels like every movie and every project that ends, th- there's no um, sense of momentum because you don't know you don't really know how all of these things are really connecting to each other. Like you're saying, I think the Loki thing is a perfect example of that, of like, okay, this feels like a huge deal. What happens at the end of Loki, but like nobody actually says anything about that in any subsequent project. So it just kind of feels, and I'm sure COVID had a lot to do with that too. And reordering of projects and all that kind of stuff. So I, I've, my heart goes out to them, you know, anybody trying to keep uh, the continuity straight in like a, you know, multi dozen, um, uh, entry project like this is, is just massive and I'm sure a ton of headaches, but yeah, from an audience perspective, uh, some clarity would definitely be appreciated for a lot of this yeah. stuff. So. I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that we get like when Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania comes around, since that's supposed to be when Jonathan Majors like uh, makes his appearance as uh, King the Conqueror. And so maybe mm-hmm. we'll start to get some idea of how that overarching, because uh, he's supposed to be like the Thanos essentially of the net, this, this phase of the MCU. So I think that that'll give us an idea of what's going on. Yeah. Okay. So there's uh, the the bangle that uh, Kamala has uh, actually has an inscription on it that says, "What you seek is seeking you." I'm not really sure what the um, the tie in is going to be there, but I'm sure that's going to that come come back in some way. Um, and then I, meanwhile, I, th- I do. Oh, yeah. I my, personally, I think that that's going to end up being like uh, something that has a deeper meaning. Like e- even if it has a meaning as far as like uh her powers and things like that i think for her it's going to be more meaningful and that what she's looking for is like finding herself and who she's Mm. supposed to be yes okay yeah i like that um so i guess on the other side of the the earth and the department of damage control the clandestines break out of captivity in this really poorly lit and poorly staged action scene that ends with uh najma leaving cameron behind she she essentially like abandons her own son um this is a really good example of the type of action scene that I kind of felt like, uh, wow, this is, um, I see what they're trying to do here, but it just kind of falls flat. Like, I don't know. What, what did you make of this one, Brad? Yeah, it felt just like it was shot in someone's uh, parking garage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, a, like, really a, like a stairwell or something like that. And um, I, you know, 
I, yeah, it was it was it just wasn't all that exciting, you know. And obviously, they're setting up, you know, uh, Cameron to have probably a more heroic role since he already kind of betrayed uh, what his people were were trying to accomplish and, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But yeah, it just felt just felt extraneous. Yeah, yeah. So uh, back in Karachi, uh, Nani tells Kamala that she's still trying to find herself, even at her uh, in her advanced age. She says. Um, well, I think one of the things that the show really does well, like I said, is it makes its its themes crystal clear. You know, it's got these these small granular moments between family members, but also it underlines its themes really clearly. So Nani talks about there being a border between different aspects of her personality. And elsewhere in the episode, we learn about this border between worlds. It's, I mean, all of it is like, is, is, um, uh, repeated in, and sort of, um, represented in different ways that I think, um, you know, it may be a little on the nose at times, but I think it's, it's well done. I mean, it, it actually feels like it's about something, you know, this is, it's about segmentation and unification and like the ripple effects of ripping a culture apart and like what, you know, what, what sort of uh, traumas that can inflict on, on in, inflict on families. Um, and, and we're actually like seeing that in really human ways with these characters that, um, that we're getting to know and love. So, um, yeah, it may be on the nose, but I, I think that that part of uh, of Ms. Marvel does not bother me at all because it's it's so um, character driven that I think it's done really well. Uh, so Kamala goes to a bonfire. She eats biryani from a bag, which looked delicious, uh, and she sort of makes eyes at at Kareem, who has a nickname of Chemo. Um, any thoughts about any of these scenes, Brad, or is this just sort of like, you know, a connective tissue moving on to, from one thing to the next? No, I think that I, I appreciate scenes like this in this kind of show where it's just a grounded moment where you you're spending time with Kamala and you get, get a sense with that She has this little bit of insecurity being where she is, you know, even though this is uh, where she's, you know, from in a lot of ways, she doesn't necessarily feel like, it's uh, home to her and like, she still has a very, you know, Americanized part of her life, you know, to the point where she, you know, she's worried about the food being too spicy for, you know, because she's been living in America this whole time and hasn't really, you know, had uh, food as it's, you know, maybe meant to be made and and prepared as it really Mm -hmm. is in in Pakistan. Uh, So I just, I just liked that little moment where she was a little bit of insecure, but then she still felt comfortable with these people. And she's just kind of, She's just being a kid. She's being a, you know, a, a, a teen who's learning about herself and, you know, still trying to fit in. Yeah. I, I definitely got some vibes of like uh, Lulu Wong's the farewell from this. Um, yeah. This, this idea of like going back to sort of like your ancestral homeland and sort of making connections with a, a world that you didn't really know growing up, but you feel uh, tied to and connected to. And yeah, I think all that stuff is, is done really well here. Um, so uh, Muniba, who, who is a, uh, Kamala's mom and Sana, who is uh, her nani, they have this big discussion at, back at home about why Muniba left when she did. And Sana has been keeping these toffee boxes around in case Muniba, uh, Muniba ever came back, which is just like so heartbreaking and so sad. And uh, Muniba sort of felt shunned by her community because of her mom's fantastical theories. So you mentioned the scene earlier, Brad, and it's not quite a fight, but it's kind of like a, a blow up in a, in a way. Um, what did you think about about this and and sort of what kind of light it shines on these two characters. Yeah, it helps to flesh out uh, Kamala's mother more as a character, getting an idea of who she is and how she's, you know, not just somebody who's trying to be hard on Kamala with, you know, without reason, uh, but maybe that she has still, you know, lost a little bit of, her, of herself and who she used to be uh, in the process. And that there's, you know, there's a middle ground somewhere between these two people. They've just struggled to, to find it because, you know, one has been uh, estranged from the other for so long. Yeah. 
So Waleed gives uh, Kamala a green vest with history and every piece of fabric so she never feels alone. And uh, right at that moment, uh, Najma and the clandestines break into the hideout, which evidently has a giant skylight in the ceiling where it's very easy for people to just crash through it like Batman or something. Uh, There's this big uh, smoky fight sequence. And then there's this huge chase through the streets of Karachi. Um, Like you, Brad, I, I, you know, this is where my brain sort of checks out a little bit. There's one moment where I really um, thought that this connected and, and worked very well, which is when Kamala uses her powers to build that ramp to protect the the family in the middle of the street. Uh, yeah. Because it's a unique representation of this character doing the thing that she does with her superpowers. And like, what are we doing here? If, if not that, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, I think you said it well, where like, yeah, this could have been a moon night chase. So I don't know. It's, it's so long. It takes up so much time. Like, and some of it is well shot and, and you know, it's not like I ever, it's not like, um, you know, taken two or something where the geography is like, so uh disjointed and everything is cut to hell and like you, yeah. you don't understand what what is going on at any given moment you know it's it's clear it's more clear than that but it's just it all feels a little like okay um all right let, let's let's get through this but I, I really did like that ramp moment i thought that was kind of cool yeah um okay so uh while is stabbed in the back here um it, i don't know brad uh this is one of those things where like you know the they introduce this character. He he becomes Mister Exposition, and then they kill him off in this episode, or seemingly kill him off. We're gonna have that discussion in a second. Uh, emotionally, were you like um, devastated that this character died? Like it just sort of feels like <laughs> I, I wish that we had a little bit more time with him, so this death might actually um, resonate a little bit more with us. Yeah, I mean, it's you do get the sense that he's a, he's a cool character, and you like what he introduces to Kamala and. Um, you know, how he treats her and, you know, doesn't hesitate to welcome her. I think really it's meant to be more impactful, um, you know, for Kareem as a character. Like that's, that's somebody who has mentored him, has been there, been there for him. And so like, that's more meaningful for him, I think, than it is for us. And they, yeah. they gave us about as much as we could in order for that to be effective. Yeah. Um, do you think he's actually dead? Because he's, he's laying there. I mean, he's clearly stabbed in the back. Uh, we saw that happen. And then I think as he's like pushed over the railing, you see the, the wound that that's there. There's no like magic or anything weird happening there um you know no uh, mysterio tricks or anything like that um but and he's laying there motionless on the ground do you think he's actually dead do you think that's the last we'll see of Wally? with marvel you never know uh, but i think that this that character does kind of have to be dead probably to be uh, a significant moment for kareem and to make it so that they're kind of on their own they don't have this guide to like reassure them or help them figure things out that they might otherwise be you know um easily able to understand yeah, and now now that you say that, like the idea of the the Red Daggers is this organization that's been around for I don't remember exactly how long they say I I want to say he says hundreds of years, but uh, certainly generations. Um, the idea that the entire organization seems to be made up of like this guy and like a couple, maybe this kid and maybe one or two other people or something. Like, where is everyone? If this is their hideout, like, well, what's going on here? What's the extent of uh, of the red the Red Dagger? Um, you know, like recruitment in, in 2022, are they, uh, are these the only remaining members? Like what's going on? So, um, losing the figurehead, uh, definitely would be like a, a far more powerful thing if indeed there are a very small number of people in this organization. So, um, we'll have to see about that if they come back in a significant way as the, as the show goes on. Cause I don't imagine that, uh, Ms. Marvel is going to be spending a ton of time 
uh, in Karachi in, in future episodes. I'm guessing things are going to be heading back to Jersey fairly soon. Um, but the last big moment of the episode is uh, this another fight sequence where uh, Najma comes out and she stabs uh, Kamala in the bangle. And this seems to throw Kamala almost like back in time to the train station during partition. And she um, is witnessing these families who are having to make these sacrifices and, and separating. And um, it, it's really like the, this heartbreaking scene. And I thought this was actually like shot and staged and blocked really, really well. I love the production design of this and, and just the whole look of it, the aesthetic, the, the darkness, everything sort of bathed in darkness, but these, uh, these, you know, um, lanterns and sort of candle lights and things of that sort that are that are sort of illuminating the sequence. And then she climbs up, climbs up on top of a train car and just like looks out and realizes like, you know, there's a lot of people here. This is a very big deal. Um, these are the last trains leaving, uh, leaving the station. And that's the end of the episode. So um, what did you think about the, the way this episode ended? Brad? Yeah, it's very surprising. And, you know, we mentioned Moon Knight earlier as kind of like a point of it being a little bit detrimental since it was just felt like a generic chase. Uh, but th- this was a moment that I felt like was uh, on par with one of Moon Knight's most mind-blowing moments, which is where, uh, you know, we end up following Mark and Steven into the mental hospital. And it really kind of throws you for a loop as to like what's happening in the show. Uh, and here, you know, I'm, it's not it's not quite as shocking of a revelation. It's just a surprising uh, shift in what's going on as far as like, you know, why is she here? What what's supposed to happen here? And, you know, how will she get out? What's what's going on, basically? You know, it's because mm-hmm. uh, we don't know a lot about, uh, you know, the bangle and its 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 origins and really what's going on as far as. Uh, how it can be utilized and what, you know, the clandestines really are trying to accomplish. So uh, if anything, it's just, it just piqued my curiosity. It's a pretty good cliffhanger. And it's also like, like you said, very well uh, executed. It's, you really, you just feel the chaos and the desperation that's there. And I feel like it really taps into like showing, uh, you know, especially I think kids of a younger age too, who have maybe heard these stories from their parents about like hardships they went through, uh, you know, during, during these times and, you know, actually seeing it uh, laid out like that. I think that, this is one of those moments where you see a moment in history and it's played out in such a fashion that really helps you get a better understanding of what it was like during the time, as opposed to just hearing people talk about it. Yeah. hundred percent. So um, there's not much that I have in speculation. Um, the, the two things that I have were one you already mentioned, which was that I think uh, Cameron is probably going to end up helping Kamala. I would guess that Bruno will develop a begrudging respect for him because you know, that's sort of how these things go. Um, but the other uh, big question that I have is uh, sort of ties into the final images that we see in this episode where Kamala is at this train station and she's still there. This is this seems longer than the the typical visions that she's had before, right? So the question that I have is, do you think that she is going to be the one who uses the bangle to create that sort of um, path of stars that ends up getting her uh, her grandmother reunited with her father? Is it like a time travel sort of situation where she's been put back in this place for a reason and she is the one, you know, it's like a loop type of thing. What do you think? Uh, yeah, that that would be interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that would be, you know, a, a compelling way to, yeah, r- wrap up that that story arc and kind of give a resolution for uh, her grandmother as well. So, but there also has to be something there too of as far as like how it ties into, you know, everything else that has happened and what's going on with the, the clandestine. So, I'm not sure how all, all that comes together, but uh, yeah, that, that's that's an interesting idea. 
Do you have any um, any ideas, any stray observations about or, or pieces of speculation, anything that you saw in this episode that made you go, huh, I wonder uh, what might happen here? Not really. I, I think for me that the ending is like, I, I guess I wonder if there's there's something in the past that she maybe will find out that will paint a clear picture of what's going on for her. Maybe something that she's been uh, lied to about or doesn't fully understand yet. And that'll help her figure out some way where maybe she can give the clandestines what they want without destroying the world or merely just to, to stop them. Um, and yeah. and exactly after she finds out what's exactly what's going on. Yeah. That's another good point that you, that you raised there is like the idea that we don't know what the, the true um, uh, like the details of that other dimension are means that we can't know if it's a good idea or like morally acceptable for um Kamala to um, essentially like close that gate forever. Like, you know, are there innocent people there who would be um, killed or like, you know, negatively affected by not having uh, access to our world? Like what, I I think that's one of those things that the show really needs to lay out clearly. So we understand, you know, what her options are um, as the show sort of heads into its, its final stretch here. So uh yeah i think that's it unless you had any other um things that that i didn't uh run over in in my sort of uh quick um speed down speeding through of this breakdown brad no that's it for me okay cool all right i think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode you can find more about all the uh stories that we mentioned on today's show tons of stuff about ms marvel up at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode slashfilm daily is published every weekday bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps and send your feedback questions comments concerns and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will talk to you next time. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.